This show supports Annie's Vegan Treats, handmade chocolates, bakes and cookies at www.annie'streats.co.uk. Hello everyone, it is Saturday 26th November 2022 or probably another day because we've all been so busy again and we have such busy lives, especially in this period. Today we have a full house here at New Game Old Flame. We have a um, guest of honor, Tony Svenström from Finland. Hello, hello. We have Pix, one of our listeners that uh, we talk so often about. Yeah, it's nice to be on. And as usual, Diego. Hi, hello everyone. Today we're recording at a more human time. Let's say it's about 7 p.m. here after work. So we're all very tired, but we're all very happy to be here. And uh, it's been an incredible week for lots of reasons. I have finally got myself a new joystick for the Amiga, which is a Koenig Speed King. And it's a, a very, very small joystick. I thought it was much bigger and it's got micro switches. But before we get into any of that, I just wanted to just pull around you guys and see what you've been doing uh, in the past time. Obviously, I, I've spoken to Diego in the past few weeks. Uh, Richard, Tony, I don't know if you have anything to add, but let's go in order. Diego, what did you do? Uh, well, this was the time of the year where here in Finland we have our traditional Christmas parties with uh, the, our companies and uh, our clubs and everything. So. Let's say that I have been a lot more social than focused on retro gaming, perhaps, in the <laughs> last week or so. But uh, it's been a great time, actually, from that point of view. And I think we are also starting to get some snow over here. So, Do you have the heating on? Because I've just started putting the heating on and very little i don't know over there in finland if you've got like the big rising costs of the of the bills well we are definitely have the heating on already not too much but uh, it's been uh, below zero in the last few evenings at least so even though we, we don't live very much up north of the country as for the bills well i think i'm gonna tell you at the end of the month <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yet <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, I think uh, up in Finland, it's not an option, you know, to just stay without the heating because it's, uh, I think you just die there. Is that true for you as well, Tony? Do you have the heating on or off? Uh, well, we got uh, the city central heating, so it's quite cost effective. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so that's, don't that's have to cool. Worry. So you, you've got like a fixed amount to pay or do you... Yeah, here we've got the metered bills and we have to pay based on that, basically. Is it very different? Uh, well, it's just a part of the rent, basically. So oh, okay. So static amount every month. That's perfect for you then. Richard, are you in the cold? Um, I've got the eating on tonight, so I thought it probably wouldn't want me shivering on microphone or whatever all evening. <laughs> imagine, but, imagine if you shivered... But yeah, but well, I'll be trying to. I'm trying to keep it off as much as possible. But yeah, it's a bit wet and windy up in Preston for most yeah. of the year. Yeah, I'm coming up then tomorrow, aren't I? And uh, not to Preston, but to Blackpool. So I was really tempted to go and see. There's a an arcade open there as well now. If I've got time, I'd like to go there as well. Yeah, I've not been into that. Well, I've been to the one bury a couple of times, but yeah, I need to get down there as well. Talk about arcades. Do you have arcade places in Finland, like? Where you just go and play old video games? Uh, just a couple of years ago, there's at least one opened, but I haven't seen like any arcades in years. And they opened that one in some kind of industrial area. Oh, that's a bit difficult to access, but a nice place otherwise. Have you been then? Uh, once, yeah. Uh, where, whereabouts in Finland are you, if I can ask? Around Helsinki. I've only been to Finland once and I and the thing that struck me the most was the fact that I was playing obviously video games with Diego and I thought it was still like early night like eight o'clock and Diego said oh no look at the clock and it was like four o'clock in the morning and it was like dusk kind of light 
damn, it's so late. And, and I didn't notice. That was just amazing. And, and I know you got the, what's it called? Northern Lights. Northern Lights, yeah. Clearly you've seen them for sure, haven't you? Uh, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. No, I, I've never seen them either, but I would have loved to see them. I was fortunate enough to see them uh, well once while in the woods at a cottage and uh, in the winter. Oh, nice. Well, obviously, as you said, there is quite a lot of light in the summer, so you can't even see much of the stars in the sky. But uh, in the winter, of course, by Converse, everything's pretty dark. But I, I guess that the northern lights are very un unpredictable or some people try to predict them. There are even websites that try to kind of follow some patterns. But even though I've been living here about 20 years, I've seen them well only once and uh, barely visible in the sky, maybe a couple of other times, but not more. Pretty cool, mm -hmm. pretty cool. So I'll just give you a bit of a breakdown of what I've been doing in the past week. So I've got this new joystick. It's a very small one and it resembles a lot the Albatross. In here. So we mentioned this joystick in some a few episodes ago, I think. It's the best joystick in the market because it's made in Italy and it's, it's got micro switches and it's very sturdy. It's got a small lever so it doesn't break easily. It's very good. And this Koenig is very similar. It's just portable. So you put it in your hand and it's got the, the button at the bottom. Uh, I don't know. I haven't tried it properly yet, but I'm, I'm pretty excited. And it's always one that I wanted when I was a kid. And I saw it in these magazines and it was like 50 pounds or something. Naturally, I, whatever I couldn't afford then, I buy now. So I'm broke. But there, that's that. And I have discovered that people are bringing back teletext. Uh, don't know if you guys are familiar with teletext uh, once upon a time. You are certainly used to use it, yeah. Yeah. So believe it or not, it's back in a form of Raspberry Pi edition that transmits proper teletext to your television. <laughs> and people have brought it back with the actual old pages. But believe it or not, they have been able to recover from VHS tapes. And I think it's very interesting. Right? So... All the pages are encoded within the screen that is transmitting the image of, I don't know, the news or whatever you're watching. And they've been able to extract the data from <laughs> from old VHS. That's, I think that's just incredible what they've done. And they've made a giant database of that. But is the same that uh, we used to have in Italy? Yeah. On As a sort of built-in feature of late 80s, early 90s televisions that was it's basically news but it was yeah it was news it was anything you could think of there was subtitles they did as well with that i thought that was really all oh, right do you remember page 777 of teletext and it would give you the subtitles yeah yeah, yeah. and now that you mentioned yeah there were also subtitles but i was just thinking what's the point of showing the news of 30 years ago <laughs> uh, wouldn't it be more sensible to try and uh, use it for actual news yes i suppose it can be used for anything but it does require raspberry pi connected to your television which is always um quite in <laughs> it's a bit unusual isn't it and you can't it's not real in that respect real teletext but it does transmit it really to the to the antenna so it actually is encoded as teletext we used to be uh, i think that's really fascinating that they did that and from videotapes, I that was just oh, mind blown. All right, but that means so they are just reading their own. I thought that yes. it it was a sort of a broadcast experiment to share it with with other people to make service or so, something like that. But uh, they are just adding old teletext to their own television well yes yes just for the feeling all right i, I think okay. it's a nostalgia thing isn't it i, I mean I, don't, I wouldn't mind yeah. seeing old teletext news and uh, italian news i mean you could potentially use it as a service i guess if antennas still worked i don't know i mean they used, they used to have comic strips and things on there like a kids page oh really and and like, like they had quizzes that you had to like press the coloured buttons or something to choose which answer it was. If you remember anything like that? Oh yes, there was coloured buttons, wasn't there? Yeah, they used to what was it, Bam Bamba Boozler or something? It was called. Oh yeah, yeah. 
I think Charlotte men mentioned something like that as well. Uh, she's my partner, by the way. Yeah, and uh, she and I found a screenshot of that as well with a, with a quiz. But I don't think we had that in Italy. I don't, I don't recall having quizzes on teletext. Do we have any recollection of how teletext was in uh, in Finland? Then this is for you, Tony. Um, my dad was actually pretty strict about money. Like he didn't spend much on any entertainment stuff. So we had a pretty old TV that didn't support teletext, and we had that TV until late two thousands. So I never actually got to experience much of it. I just thought it was interesting looking. But well, not sorry to hear that. But I'm sorry if you went through hard times. That's to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have also found out there is um, a new way to play games on GameCube. Finally, it doesn't require any modding per se. Uh, I mean, any difficult modding or any expensive modding. It's called Pico Boot, and it's I think it's li- literally quite quite recent. This. It's um it's a mod, but it's made with a little Raspberry Pico, Pico Pico, don't know. And you can attach that, and it's only about three wires to solder. But now they're selling it, I think, with a pre-made strip as well to make it even easier. And it just allows to play backups from the Raspberry Pi's um, micro SD, as is, and you can update the firmware via USB. I think it's just brilliant, and I've ordered it now. And it's already come. The Pico Raspberry Pico is here, and I think they just need a um, it's a small add-on to put to put it on, and that's it. And I think that's fantastic because that finally allows me to open up a a different can of worms, <laughs> because all my CDs are well, I don't have many. I got four or five, but they're all scratched, so that can make them you know really re- make them relive. And that's going to be pretty cool. In the same way, on the PS2, there is a new way of playing um, backups there as well. I just found out, and and it's a new like memory card that works in tandem with another one, and that's um, it's called MC2SIO, and you plug that in together with a boot one, I think it's called, and basically again you can play backups without absolutely no soldering, and I think that's just genius 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 another thing that's genius is <laughs> bit mining this actually was a thing that i thought about bit mining is been a thing since i don't know how many years ago and i've been always really interested in obviously making money for free in that <laughs> in that respect and i've never done it i've never had the know-how and i've never had the money to afford all those expensive video cards or even done it on my lo- local video card because I've never been interested, but I know that nowadays to mine some coins, I think you say, it requires a lot more work to get smaller valued compared to the past. So I thought to myself, I wonder what you could get, how much money you could get out of bit mining from an old um, consoles. And lo and behold, someone's done it. <laughs> someone's done it on a NES. And they use the nest to do a, um, a bit mining, and there's I think it's called Retro Miner, and it, it's a website dedicated to that. And I think that's absolutely super fascinating. And uh, I, I it doesn't really say how much money you make; it just shows it the the, the NES Retro Mining. I, I love this term Retro Mining. And I was wondering, what would you think a nest can can give you? Maybe can can it buy you one ice cream in a year? Uh, I'm not quite sure how it works with Bitcoin, but you, you're basically just doing calculations to guess a number, aren't you, in effect? I have no idea. I think if you get it right once, you probably get quite a lot of money, more than the ice cream anyway. Oh, okay. I think. So, but your chances of doing that would be incredibly slim, presumably, with an NES. So is it is it luck-based then? So if I do one calculation that comes across at that moment and then I get the money? Uh, well, I may be getting this wrong, but I think that when, basically as soon as they have like a hash for the next one and everyone has to try and guess using calculations what it is, so I think it is basically luck-based, yeah. And as soon as someone finds that, then the race starts again for the next one. I think it's something like that. Well, I, you know, though, I never delved into all that, so I have no clue. So where does the actual value or money come from in that respect? Because it's just you guessed <laughs> well, it, and what? 
Well, I suppose I think it's supposed to be like generating money in sort of real terms, so you can't you can only have like a finite supply ultimately. Oh. So it gets harder and harder to mine the more of it you got until it reaches some theoretical maximum. Right, I never knew that. Okay, that's awesome and interesting as well. At the same time, I've learned something new. But, but yeah, is, whether there's any actual value I mean, in a few years, it might all be worthless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do hear about the value of the Bitcoin going up and down, up and down. So I don't know that's what that is about. But Sounds like a lot of unnecessary wear and tear on the nest, if you ask me anyway. But... Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, this was just an experiment. Retro mining is just an experiment, but I think it's awesome that someone's done it. But you might be lucky, you know, you do the right calculation just with that NES because it's so old and it's got that particular chip and it does that calculation. But all of a sudden you're rich. I don't know. What about you, Richard? What have you been up to? You know, I've, I'm bringing your, your, your power supply finally fixed. And uh, yeah, that's going to be like a milestone it's in my, a, in my yeah, career. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's been a long time, hasn't it? Uh... When did you send it over? <sighs> I was trying to think because the first time, because you and me basically met over buying these, importing these five one fifties from the states off a kit. Didn't yeah, we? yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I didn't bite any. So, <laughs> and the, the power supply blew up within about a week of me getting it, from what I remember. Oh, yeah, that was such a yeah. But it wasn't. It wasn't even this year. Was it this year? I don't think it was. Uh, I mean, I can go and check. I've got a, a picture of when your package arrived. So, yeah, I sort of cobbled I cobbled a replacement together in the meanwhile. So it's not like I've been without it, yeah, yeah. So, which is good, especially when we're playing Magiduck and all that. Yeah, but, Magiduck, yeah. But, yeah, other than that, I've had, so I've had similar experiences recently. So we've got a new computer museum opening up not so far from here in Lee. Right. That isn't opened up quite any time, I gather. They're just sort of finishing work on the – it's in like an old mill in Lee that's been converted and they're waiting for all the work to finish, I think, before they can open. But they had a big, well, sort of jumble sale of all the kits that they didn't need that have been donated that they're basically selling off. So I picked up an old Mac from there, uh, well, Atari trackball and uh, an old Amstrad PC. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was just I was on my way down on holiday at the time. I, saw, I tried the Amstrad while I was on holiday, and the, the, basically the monitor popped. So I got a nice big spark out the back of that. Couldn't try the Mac till I got home. Right. So that initially worked, but I didn't have anything to convert the video signal. So I had to sort out a cable for that. And as soon as I got that and plugged it in again, that popped as well. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> so I seem to be on a roll with these power supplies. Uh, I should I should be sending these back down with you, but I don't think you'd thank me for it. So. <laughs> no, definitely one of the most difficult repairs I've ever encountered. In fact, my, yeah, my dad, uh, bless him, he took it to his friend as well and tried to repair it. Nothing, nothing. But then he just insisted and basically replaced everything. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, it works. So that that's good. It's one saved. I hope it lasts a long time. I tested it last night. So that would be coming your way. Tony, do you have any anything that you would like to share that you've been up to? I don't know, uh, hardware-wise, computer-wise, let's say. I know you you work in the computer industry. You don't have to speak about that. Um, well, most mostly my programming-related stuff has been on Godot Engine lately. So a bit more modern-related rather than old yes. IBM. So talk to us about yourself then. Uh, you know, you're you're a programmer. Uh, no, no, I'm a, a game artist or graphic designer for games, slot machine games actually. Oh, okay. So I just do some hobby programming on my free time. All right, all right. But you're very good at it. Well, <laughs> no, not really actually. Oh, you, I bet you're better than me. Uh, cool. So you you're using a new language of to program, a bit more modern. You said I didn't quite catch what what it was and what kind of um, output does it give you like for what platform uh, Godot engine is like a unity type thing oh okay so a PC oriented is it is that right or console PC mostly consoles are possible also with some extra work okay. it's an open source engine I game see. engine 
Uh, what did you use before? Actually, before mostly just like quick basic <laughs> MS-DOS things. So I haven't done much modern programming. So is Magiduck also developed in basic? It is, yeah, basic and uh, assembly. Okay. So all the high level stuff is in quick basic and then uh, like low level routines are in assembly. Oh, did you actually program the Magiduck game on an actual old IBM machine? No, I did not. <laughs> you did. You made it in, in Windows environment or another? Windows, okay. yeah. In the end, I mostly used like Notepad++ to write the code and, and DOSBox to run the compilers. So why did you choose to make something that would run in DOSBox rather than simply going for a Windows application? Like a morbid interest, maybe. I don't know how to put it. Like that era of PC gaming, like old Apache games where where you could see that this is like meant for a like the machine is a business machine, but people are making fun stuff on it. That's interesting to me. Okay, so in a very retro gaming spirit, we should say. Mm, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> in different news, I've discovered some maybe old but uh, good games. So one is Redux, 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 Dark Matters. Uh, it's another game for the Dreamcast, and it's also ported to iOS. And it's a basically like our type kind of game, so a shoot 'em up with uh, different interesting features. Uh, and then I had a look at the Curse of Illimil Bay. That is more like a platformer. Like it, that would have been appropriate for Halloween as well. It's uh, it's like a Halloween based like platformer, and it looks quite interesting. It's got some potions and some. Um, upgrades you can literally see the old style of how they've represented halloween and it, it's quite it's quite cute let's say yes yeah, so that's the word it's cute uh, but old and after that i had a look at another game for the Commodore 64 called terrestrial it's a similar concept to what we talked about in the last episode which was cosmic force for the c64 and it's like a game that has multiple different levels and it's made so it rotates these levels uh, and there's a lot of variety. There's like a, a missile launch one, there's a 3D one, and uh, there's another one like Cabal, basically. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Cabal, Cabal, Cabal. They rotate, there's an asteroid one, and it's all in one game. And I think it's quite a, a unique take on what could a game be for the Commodore 64 nowadays. More and more people seem to be congregating the different genres in, in one single game. The last thing I have to talk about really quickly is Torican is getting a port on MSX. So that little machine on which we played Yazzie is giving us another pearl like Torican. I don't know how it's ever going to run on an MSX, but I am stoked that someone's doing it and I'm really, really interested. And I'm loving the MSX more and more for all its capabilities. I think it's not a bad machine at all. I think it's quite a little bit underestimated what it can do. But perhaps it has been neglected even even back then. It definitely didn't get all the massive amount of games that uh, Commodores and uh, Sinclairs got, for example. No, no, for sure. In fact, I, I didn't even... It went right over my head. Like I, did, I just didn't notice the MSX. And I, I thought it was already... As I said, mentioned pretty earlier... It, for me, it was on par with the Atari 2600, and so not there with graphics, but I've been proven wrong. Quite a good machine. I was going to say, I had a friend with an MSX when I was a kid. I was always quite envious of it, actually. I had a Spectrum, and he had all these sort of cartridge Konami games, and they were miles better than what I was getting on my Specky. Uh, I would be interested in, in, in seeing when it comes out how it compares with the Commodore 64 version. To be honest, I didn't like it very much back in the days. I, I had the Amiga version of Turrican and Turrican 2, and I thought they were obviously miles better, but that was a 16-bit computer, so of course it was better than the 8-bits. But um, considering that this is coming out more than 30 years later, I'm expecting quite a good job for the MSX version, actually. Let's see how it comes out, but 
I think it's going to be the 64 version. For me, I think, again, it's the marvel of being able to see Turrican on an MSX is going to be the, the wow factor for me. Tony, uh, what's your first computer or console that you've owned? Well, NES, NES. Uh, Nintendo a bit. Anything after that? Well, then we got a PC after that and mostly just PC gaming since then. Okay. Did you do a lot of NES gaming, lots of years, or was it more brief and then the PC came earlier? Uh, five years or so. Okay. Then PC gaming, I think, took off really well and the the quality of games uh, i think surpassed at a certain point the nes and yeah and luckily like uh, around that time emulators were getting good so i ended up spending a lot of time playing like nes snes games on pc in italy i used to go and catch the bus and um, in the main bus station there were arcade machines or as we heard as well in germany you we had a restaurant and in the lobby of the restaurant we had arcade machines the same goes to it from for italy as well you used to go and have a pizza and there there was a, maybe a, an arcade machine was there a similar concept of uh, arcade gaming in place that weren't arcade related in finland back in the days pretty briefly like actually the slot machine game company that i work for they used to make ports of, of foreign arcade games and they were the only like uh, Finnish publisher that had a right to put any kind of arcade cabinet anywhere. It's a bizarre situation. And where did they used to put it? In kiosks and um, gas stations, those kinds of... A bit more similar to Mark. Mark used to basically play a game while he was fueling a car. I found that quite funny, to be honest. <laughs> Diego, do you have anything you want to talk about? Yes, I don't know how this is new to everybody, as I caught on something that I didn't notice before. But I think that you probably will be interested in this new operating system for the Commodore 64, simply called C64OS. And I think this will really cater to your own ideas about using the commie for practical purposes other than entertainment as you have been trying to do in your garage oh, i yeah. know <laughs> so well this is not the first attempt at an operating system for the commodore 64 but i really would encourage anyone to take a look because it looks impressive it's only the first full version of it after a couple of years of development already and uh, I encourage everyone in their own time to take a look at the previews and reviews you can find on YouTube because, in my opinion, it's really a great piece of work. It essentially tries to bring a desktop feel to the Commodore 64 with menus and uh, windows. And, uh, if, of course, it supports mouse in addition to keyboards and shortcuts. And... Uh, well, I, I've been watching many of those videos and reviews because I was really hooked, all considering that it's still the Commodore 64 and it's doing everything with that little bit of RAM memory, really. It, it's mostly text mode. Well, as a matter of fact, it supports split screen graphics, text and graphics. And you can kind of move from one to the other, lifting a curtain with the mouse and uh, the windows are kind of simple, but they're functional, that you can resize them. They have scroll bars and everything, but, but, it, but it's really functional. I think this could be really a major thing for Commodore 64 lovers. And what, what does it come with? So, for example, does it, can you do, I don't know, database? Obviously, simple, simple database. Well, obviously, it works as a file manager in general. And uh, I think the the main idea would be that you kind of find your setup, favorite setup, so with, you can create desktop items that they really look like a line of text, but they are clickable as icons on Windows. And so you can start from the desktop just like that. And 
in my opinion, once you have set it up the way you like it, with all your favorite colors and preferences, probably you will not want to just boot your Commodore 64 normally ever again. At least if I had it, I would always boot it on to the to this C64 OS instead, and then start my favorite programs from there. So they would all, my favorite games would all be there. And uh, then, of course, it comes with, uh, I think, 40 or something like that utilities. They are all pretty basic, like very early Windows stuff, like you get an alarm clock, you get a calendar, uh, image gallery, calculator. I think there's a sample game of chess, for example, but it's mostly for demonstrating also that it supports graphic mode. Little things like that. There's an archiver if you want to create, well, not zip files, but anyway, compressed archives in the CAR, C-A-R format for Commodore 64. And uh, I think all of these, it supports lots of peripherals, like external drives, but you probably don't want to use them. But the whole thing is kind of meant to be used with an SD card so that you put your stuff there, your software there, on the SD card, and uh, you load whatever you need, utility or so does game. It ca- does it come with an SD card then, uh, or does it come on a tape? It, it actually comes on pre-installed on an SD card itself. And how do you read the SD card then? Clearly, you need to have a, a cartridge or sort of SD card reader for your Commodore 64, so you want... Oh, okay, get you, it. Yeah, so you, you're not going to load this from a tape or a, or a, or a disk drive. But that's not included in the price, the reader you have to put. Not the reader, no. The SD card, yes. Well, I mean, that's the physical support it comes with. I think at the moment, it's still version one, but it already already looks great, in my opinion. Like a modern operating system, you'll get all the updates. So you, you you buy it once, but you'll get all the updates eventually. I think, if I understand right, Networking is not supported yet. So even for updates, you're going to have to download some patch and install it manually or something like that, or replace some files on on your SD card, something like that. But eventually, it will also probably just update by connecting to the web. But I, I was really, really impressed by the whole thing. And I think that the, all the reviews are raving on the web about this C64 OS to the point that I think probably we should consider making an episode about it later on at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to deviate from games and cover some utility, I think this should be very much it because in a way it could be a game changer in 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 how you use your your old Commodore 64 in a more modern way. It's not super cheap at the moment. How much is it? Um, I kind of have to check what is the conversion rate because it's made in Canada, I think. So it was in Canadian dollar over there. I think it was 60 Canadian dollars. There's a couple of versions because you can buy a smaller or a bigger SD card and it has some extra. But uh, more or less around 60 Canadian dollars. I think it's... 45, 50 uh, euros, maybe. So it's not extremely cheap, but you have to think of how this will change the way you use your your computer, your old, good old commie for, for lots of other things and in a better way than normal. And I think that for me, the, the best thing was that it really gave me a feeling watching watching those previews of being still there in the 80s as if kind of time had stopped, but the Commodore 64 development, software development development hadn't stopped. Um, kind of weird feeling, but it, it really looks like that in, in some way, modern and old at the same time. I think I saw some videos uh, a year ago of, of, the, of the guy who's actually made it, uh, but I didn't know he was actually making a, a product that he was going to sell. So when you, when you told me you're going to talk about it, I was like, oh my God. He's actually made it. Now he's selling it. And I think the website's really good. It's uh, c64os.com. 
and it looks it does give me a feel of the old Commodore 64 adverts for some reason the way they structured it it's very very well done I think it also has quite a professional packaging or presentation of the whole thing it comes with a nice manual it looks really well done in my opinion from every point of view so you should definitely look some videos also for some demonstration. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And yeah, if you want to do an episode on that, that, that'd be fun. I'm not sure how many people have been interested, but it's not a game, but we could talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Anything else? Uh, well, no, not really, except, well, I've been trying to follow up some <laughs> very local news from my hometown because they had a, a convention 10 days ago or so called Gardacon from the Lake Garda. You know, I come from a fairly small town and uh, there isn't that much in terms of retro gaming conventions or events and happenings. There are, of course, in Milan, bigger cities, but this one has been going on since, I think, 2019 or so. But I suppose it was also suspended in the last couple of problematic years. And then eventually started again. And, well, it's kind of the classic, you know, big event of pop cultures. So there is a huge games-related amount of, of different stands and shows. So there's obviously lots of retro gaming, arcade cabinets, home systems, consoles of the 70s, 80s, 90s, everything retro. There's, they also have modern competitions. I think there was a Call of Duty tournament where I, I think they used the very latest episode in the Call of Duty series, plus other uh, FIFA competitions, Just Dance competition and others. They had tabletops and uh, Lego diorama presentations. And then cool. there's the whole non-gaming part I think very strong in Italy, it's uh, this culture of comics. So there were lots of workshops with 40 or 50 different featured artists making workshops on how to draw various things, (laughs) realistic or manga-like or anything like that. I saw some wrestling dome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they also had these kind of shows, some wrestling show and prestidigitation. Is that right word? <laughs> like magic know. tricks, magic tricks. Oh, and they had they had uh, live shows with uh, music from uh, Japanese anime <laughs> in <laughs> Italian. I know this is oh my probably, <laughs> I know Pix and Tony don't know this, but they you cannot know this, but in Italy, in the 80s, there was a unique phenomenon about the soundtrack of Japanese cartoons because we got literally hundreds of cartoons from Japan to the Italian television of any kind, sports, battles, robots, romance, any, any possible subject themselves these cartoons were a phenomenon of their own and in addition to that uh, they originally asked professional musicians to also compose and perform the music for the opening credits and ending credits of these cartoons on the television but altogether this music really kind of educated a whole generation of Italians so it it's one big part of all this uh, retro culture. And uh, so I think they had live shows in this convention. Gosh. And there was even uh, a Cristina D'Avena concert. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. What about she... Cavalieri del Re? No, unfortunately, I don't, I don't know if they are still playing. They, they might be, but uh, oh. I don't think they were in this... That's a, there was a family band, like uh, father, mother, son, and also an aunt, who wrote tones of these uh, songs and played them. But they were really good. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the musicians 
they were really good. Uh, this one you mentioned, the Cavalieri del Re, had uh, a, a mix of styles. Sometimes they were waltz, some other times they were very much pop or rock-oriented songs. But I know that uh, the main uh, character of them, the Riccardo Zara, the, the father, so to speak, was a huge fan of the Beatles, and he actually tried to kind of copy a little bit the style, the singing style of the Beatles with multiple voices singing different things for these for this, uh, oh, cartoon cool. songs. I didn't know that. I think that from a musical point of view, they're pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree, I agree. And then there were lots of others, uh, because it was the early 80s, lots of others were... Uh, bands who played uh, disco music or funk or rhythm and blues so you got uh, really those genres not just silly tunes they, they were pretty serious yeah just wanted to say that uh, it was was good to to find out that there's something going on also near my little hometown uh, Gardacon is that right yeah cool maybe next year yeah, maybe next year, together with America and Portland. That's, yeah, that'd be amazing. I don't know. Anyways, it's time to move on to the game that we're going to talk about tonight. It's called Magiduck, and Tony is the person uh, who's made it. I'll, I'll let uh, Diego do the introduction as usual, and then we'll move on from there. Okay, thanks. So, game of the day is Magiduck, made by Tony Svenstrom. It's a classic jump and shoot platformer developed for DOS, meaning that you either need an old PC or the nowadays very well-known DOS box to play this game. I think that I, I can briefly describe the game in its general simple idea. I would call it a very much back-to-basics platform. You get a set of levels to explore in four-direction scrolling, and your primary purpose is to reach the star on the top of the level, which itself might be a fairly easy task, at least at the first few levels. But perhaps the more difficult challenge is to actually try and get your high score higher and higher, because you need to collect coins, keys, and then open treasure chests, and some things are hidden, some others might not be so obvious to reach. There's also a timer, by the way, but I don't think I ever really went out of time. I usually just won the level or died trying, because of course there is also monsters, and quite a good variety of them, in fact. And I think the game also features a certain num number of uh, different mechanics to variate the gameplay for example something that might be called trampolines or bouncers that let you jump much higher than normal there are some moving lifts uh, there's area of water where you can swim instead of jumping so that's quite quite a little bit of everything even if uh, the game kind of feels small maybe because of the fact that it is for DOS or because of the look. It's uh, very nicely pixelated. <laughs> There's very large yeah. pixels in this game, but that's what makes it feel very retro after all. Okay, let's hear from um, Tony. How long did it take to make this game? I think you could say it took three years total but it started off as a set of test routines for drawing graphics in text mode i played with those for way more than a year before i actually had anything that looked like a game at all did you actually make like an, an engine to make the game so then you can just script the levels yeah yeah i made the engine from scratch basically and uh, most of the tools also but in the end, I made some kind of conversion tool to get levels converted from Tiled, if you know that tile map editor. Yeah. And what about sprite design? You're a designer, so I'm guessing you did the sprites. That's right. 
How was the process of making those in text? Because it's all text, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Basically, the whole screen is text, but uh, the sprites are actually made in Photoshop. And then I run run them through like a conversion program that converts them to a type of data that's fast to copy to the text mode memory. Okay. I wasn't expecting such a great variety of enemies, but there's quite a few different enemies. Uh, and I thought it was brilliant that you made all these different sprites and all these different enemies for such a small game. I don't know how big it is. There's different revisions, I think, as well. I think I played the first revision, number one, 1.0, something. I could check, but I don't remember. And it's very small, but there's a lot of mm. stuff in there. And when I played it, it immediately was in my head New Zealand story Rainbow Islands <laughs> and I think those were the the two games that came to mind immediately so what what was your inspiration did you have an inspiration for this yeah yeah uh, the games <laughs> games you mentioned for sure and uh, the diamonds that pop from the chests are actually inspired by gods oh uh, if I recall correctly, there is no music on it, but there's some really characteristic beeping from the speaker, which I really love. So now I played it on my Pentium machine. I was going to try it on the 5160, but for some reason I've got 20 monitors, but no, none of them work. So I've um, I've still got to try it on that, but I'm really keen on that. So on I've got a 17-inch for my Pentium, so it looked very big, but I get, I imagine that if I put it on the uh, 5160 monitor, a smaller one. It will look a bit more compact. Did you plan to add any also support for a Sound Blaster or stuff like that? Maybe AdLib support would have been possible, but uh, I was trying to keep the memory footprint pretty small, and uh, I think I would have to rewrite most of the game to actually have enough memory. And was it a goal of yours to make the game as small as possible? Or was it uh, or was that just a, a result of what you did? It was actually one of my main goals. But uh, the tools that I was using, like Quick Basic, is kind of a memory hog. So it was a losing battle in that sense, but close enough, maybe. Pix, do you have any questions? I'm just wondering what... what... So you, I gather you got your first PC relatively late on, so it seems quite ambitious to sort of start aiming your game on something as limited as a 5150. I mean, it's probably the most advanced platformer on the system, really. What made you... Was it just a challenge? <laughs> Maybe I was, like, envious of uh, what Paku Paku, that uh, Pac-Man clone, was doing, and... Uh... I was really interested in like CGA graphics in general, fi like fighting past the limits of what CGA can do. And CGA seemed to have a really close connection to the first IBM PCs. So just felt like uh, natural to make it a part of the challenge. I have another question. Why a duck? Mm, that was like a... <laughs> random drawing at one point like before that i was thinking about making like a spaceship shooter game and, and i just uh, got inspired by some like the eyes how they draw the pixel eyes in bubble bubble and oh yes yes to make a character like that and there is a resemblance in that respect yeah oh for sure yeah <laughs> Diego, what questions do you have well i I would be interested in asking about all your inspiration for the actual monsters that I really like many of them, especially the helmet with the little feet. <laughs> I know what it reminded me, but I would like to ask you, where did you get the inspiration for that one in particular from to see if, if the same thing that came to my mind? Uh, well, my inspiration was... Uh... Uh, what was that, like that beetle bug in Super Mario Brothers 3, if you know those black ones that you jump over, but they, they come back. All right, all right. I actually really liked that you put so much thought into the variety of these monsters because there's quite a good bunch of them. 
and all of them have different personality, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And by the way, can you just <laughs> reveal to us how do the bats work? Because I keep getting killed by the bats in, in this game. <laughs> <laughs> they seem like they are following me. Mm-hmm. How, how do they work, really? Uh, if I remember correctly, they just uh, wait for you to get close enough and then make like a sweeping motion down to get to the opposite side of the player character and then go back up. So I think the strategy would be to walk in the opposite direction from the bat, then turn around back quickly and shoot when the bat is on your level. We can say this is not cheating now because you said it. (laughs) (laughs) But I might be wrong. Did you uh, design all the levels by yourself? Or did did you get some tester or some other kind of support? I did uh, level designs, but uh, uh, testing in general, I got a lot of help from, if you know the VC FED forums and, and on YouTube from a lot of uh, friendly people. All right. I think that level design, it's always pretty tricky, Mm. but uh, I liked how the game progressed in difficulty. At the beginning, it really seemed easy, first few levels, but then after a while, it started to challenge me. And honestly, I haven't even finished it all yet. So the the last few levels, last couple of levels, I still haven't managed. to finish. Did you kind of uh, plan the difficulty curve or did it just came out spontaneously? I usually like built levels uh, based on some rough idea and then it was like a organic mostly how how they ended up but uh, like afterwards I ended up changing the order of the levels a lot based on how difficult they felt and uh, converted the graphics to match the progression. So a lot of the levels looked very different in the beginning and got converted to their later tile sets after the difficulty seemed like a clear choice in where to put them. I have another question here. So the mechanics that that govern these levels of the, the very different as as you progress so you've got the bouncing uh, objects and and then you 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 learn as well that you can uh, fire against the the earth tiles and make ledges on to which go and there's other other mechanics as well that obviously i think increases the difficulty in planning the the levels how did you actually go about that? How did you decide, oh, here, I'm going to do the water, here, I'm going to put the the jumping pods, let's say, and then how do you know where to position certain elements so the player just about reaches them when he does an action or jumps or something? Uh, mostly practical testing, and uh, but uh, overall, the levels usually had like a couple of key ideas, like a couple of key areas that governed what kind of moments the player should have. And then uh, uh, like there's a lot of filler built around those key areas, but some attempt at uh, like uh, pacing is there, I think. Pix, how did you feel about the game? What did you enjoy it? How did you play it? How, how far did you get? What did you like most, etc., etc. Right. Okay. Um, well, I, I mean, I loved it. It's, I was as soon as you get a fifty-one fifty, and you start playing a few games on it, you sort of realise there aren't a lot many sort of good-looking ones to be going at. Shall we say with the CGA palettes? Uh, I sort of ran. I was looking for anything that would run in sixteen colours, which is how I ran across this in the first place. So you played it on original hardware fifty-one sixty. Fifty-one fifty. So. But yeah, I mean, I loved it. I like the way that, because it's got all these levels, but you've got an incentive to go back and replay them. So if you can 100% the level, then you can go, then it drops a power orb in. I don't know if any of you guys have done this. Oh, I didn't know. I'd never got the power orb. What does that do? So if you pick that up, then you get a sort of, 
more powerful fireball, which will kill a lot of the enemies in one hit. And you can sort of flap your wings. So you instead of having to just jump, you can sort of flap like sort of flappy bird style and sort of waft your way up the level. Oh, that's so cool. I, I missed that. How did I miss that? But you, if you get hit once, then you lose both. You lose it. You also get like a score multiplier of some description. So you'll notice how the, like the high score and the high score table is like completely out of reach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering, yeah. Yeah, so if you go back and re- you can get like massively more points if you go back and replay the levels again. So you can sort of get to get, do them twice in different style, which I thought was really neat. Uh, I think, yeah, I didn't get all that. I mean, so f- uh, from my perspective, I really enjoyed it as well. I'm going to say it not in a bad way, but surprisingly, I was I thought this was going to just be <clears throat> a normal platformer, but because it had that uh, resemblance a bit to, for me, New Zealand story and Rainbow Island. I just needed to get used to how big it was, just for the listeners' uh, benefit. I think the character occupies at least half the screen, so uh, it's very big, and it plays at, at the advantage in some respect, but also sometimes th- there is no space for you to see what's coming at the top. But other than that, I mean, I really spent a, a lovely couple of hours trying to get through all the levels, and... I would like to say as well that you you start from a sort of hub again, so you like like similarly to cheesy trials. So you start from a form of hub. So there's all these little doors that you can go in, level one to ten, nine, if I remember correctly. And each one is increasing in difficulty, and you have to reach them as well. So you have to go to certain places to find these doors, go in and do the level. And then I got to the point where there was level X. So I think it was after level nine which is a level with a final boss, which I'm not going to spoil. I haven't beaten it. I've th- that, that, for me, is very difficult. And I love the boss. With this game, I managed to, to get somewhere, and I felt really accomplished. And I thought, oh, I can actually, I can actually probably win this game, <laughs> unlike uh, other games that I just not, don't have the, the good reflexes for anymore. Anyways, I got to the end. Then there's a locked level, and I haven't got in there but i never been able to complete it 100 percent. i love the sound effects i love the graphics and uh, i don't know it's just a different format for me to see something so big and it's very original and everything that comes to f- with it as well there's so many little details like you can shoot some um elements of the screen like some um colored squares and they will reveal some gems maybe or maybe there's some enemies that you can kill but then they drop like the cap and you can keep hitting the cap and the cap keeps spawning some other gems it's just so so many of these little details i found that's so good so good so i definitely even if it's a bit of an old game i think it's still very very good and and it just stands to what playability is meant to be i think and the fact that the the duck controls so well, and it is a bit of a flappy birds. I think uh, I was going to say that, but I didn't know there was a even a further flappier mode. <laughs> but yes, when you're jumping, if you hold it, I think it, he hovers. The the duck hovers slowly. It's just very, it's just brilliant how it how it's done all all in all. And to think it runs on a fifty one uh, fifty. Yeah, it's it's amazing how well it runs. Actually, I mean, it's completely playable. Like like you say, the graphics. It's, it's it's like it's very zoomed in, isn't yeah. it? It does take a little getting used to. It's it's a bit like teletext that we were talking <laughs> yes. about earlier. It does look like you could have drawn it in that, but it, but it work, it works really well, and have you disappeared? No, I lost my train of thought. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, go on, you take over. It'll come back. It's all right. Me. I really like the sound effects as well. Those reminded me of that era because I was about, what, probably 15 and then, I don't know. And I remember all these little beeps that were coming out. And I've got, I can still play the beeps, but I I just, uh, you know, all of it as a package is, really, really enjoyed it. And I didn't think I would have. So uh, not in a bad way. Just I just thought, well, it's going to be like an old game, but... In reality, it was structured so well and the playability was so good that uh, it's a bit like the cheesy trial examples again, and I'm repeating myself. But playability is just, for me, very, very good on this game. Very good. 
So I was really hooked and I nearly got to the end. And it's definitely a game that I would encourage everyone to go and try. For MS-DOS, for DOSBox, whatever machine you've got, it's going to run on anyways, because if it runs on a 5160, I, I suppose it's going to run everywhere. Uh, and this actually gives me another question. On, on this um, Pentium machine that I've got, I've got a game, uh, Wing Commander, that I cannot play because it's too fast and I have to find a way to slow the machine down. So how come some games do that? It seems like they let the processor loose and they just go, oh, just take all the power that you can get and, and it becomes unplayable. But other games like this one is probably way, way easier for the computer to do even quicker than Wing Commander. But yet you found you find uh, this might be a really silly question, but how does how do you like limit the CPU? In Muggy Duck's case, uh, if I remember correctly, it renders uh, as fast as it can, but uh, all the actual game mechanics timing is tied to to like the CPU timer. So it should go faster if I use a faster machine. Uh, no, no, <clears throat> like. Uh, it takes into account it actually like uses the timer inside the cpu that uh, that's used to run the computer's own like clock and things like when you check what time it is on your computer like date or time it uses that clock for timing oh okay i see so it and that clock is like always has the same timing regardless of the cpu speed okay cool I understand a bit better now. Thanks for explaining that. So you, the other games don't use that clock. Instead, use a different one, probably. Uh, I assume so. I, I can't. I don't really know what what kind of system Wing Commander would use. Diego, what were your feelings? Well, as I said already, I think it was a very very nice uh, back to basics uh, platforming. I I have always been a, a fan of platformers in general and uh, of Magic Duck or Magi Duck, as you say. I enjoyed the fact that besides being a simple idea, there were all these little mechanical additions in certain levels and different monsters, each one with their own movement patterns to learn. And uh, also I think that um, having one main uh, goal of the game just to beat the level and go forward and besides that also having a, a secondary goal of making always a higher score and trying to find all the hidden coins and treasures made me want to also go back and replay the previous levels sometimes to see what I have missed which I think it's still a lot probably so overall I think it's uh, I think it's an entertaining game that has also its own little longevity, in a sense. Cool. Tony, uh, are you gonna, do you think you're gonna make any other games for old platforms like uh, Maggie Duck? Uh, I hope I'll have the time to do that. Yeah. What uh, would you like to do? I'm dreaming, dreaming of making like a Doom or Wolfenstein clone for CGA graphics. Well. Next, but there's a lot to learn. Mm, I'm sure you're gonna like, make it. Are you gonna make it in text again? That would be awesome. Yeah, maybe. Really good. So congratulations. And I, and I know it's 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 a dated game, as you said, but uh, still still holds up in my book. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I do encourage everyone to go and try it. Uh, I don't know, um, Pix, if you have anything else to add before we wrap it up. Um, okay, I, I just generally how much I enjoyed playing it. To be honest, it's it's a game that's there's an awful lot to explore in those levels. I was finding it's. Finding all the keys, all the little blocks that you can shoot out to get to the secret areas, all the ones you can travel through. It's, I mean, I, you just got it as a small game at times, but I think I, I spent hours getting to 100%ing this <laughs> back when I first got the IBM. So it certainly kept me entertained for a good few nights anyway. That's pretty cool. Uh, and, and I have you know that Pix is one of the best gamers there is in in uh, in the Discord servers. Uh, so keeping oh, him, wow. yeah, keeping him entertained for that amount of time is a difficult feat. I think we can wrap it up for today. I'll let you, Diego, take the final words. All right, thank you. Well, 
let's wrap it up with the usual small announcement of what we will be reviewing next time. We have chosen Briley Witch Chronicles, a 2021 game for Commodore 64 by Sarah Jane Avery. The game's been already out for a year or so, and it already has a sort of cult following. And it also is a sort of companion for a series of uh, light-hearted fantasy books. I think the same Sarah Jane Avery has written 10 novels or so in the last 10 years. So it might be also a good idea if you will enjoy the game also to check out the books. Yeah. All right. So if you want to contact us, if you want to try the game first and send us your opinion, or if you want to suggest more games to review, remember you can reach out to us by email, by writing to game at newgameoldflame.com or join our Discord channel via our website, www.newgameoldflame.com. I want to thank very much Tony and Pix for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was very nice to have you on board. Thanks for asking. And have a nice retro gaming weeks ahead, everyone. Thank you, and goodbye.